We turn in God's word this evening to 1 Corinthians. We're actually going to start at chapter 4, verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. In the last uh, several messages, uh, Sunday evenings, either Mark or myself have been dealing with the articles in the Westminster Confession of Faith that deal with the church. What is the church? And then the, the sacraments of the church. Baptism. The Lord's Supper. This evening we come to the article in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 30, that deals with the issue of church discipline. And so we read uh, from God's word in regards to that, because we preach not the confession, but we look to the word of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find, find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality, sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit and in And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's word this evening. Let's bow in prayer as we consider this breathed out word of the Lord to us tonight. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise you once again for your word. And uh, may it truly be precious to our hearts, dear Father. And uh, as we open this word this evening, we pray that you'll give Pastor Bob everything that he stands in need of. Father, we praise you for the preparation that has gone into this. And uh, we pray, dear Lord, that you will open our hearts, open our minds, and uh, that we will not leave this place unchanged. But, Father, through the preaching of your word, we'll be further equipped as workers in your kingdom, Father, as we leave these doors and enter the mission field. All of this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior, alone we pray. Amen. So as we consider uh, the matter of church discipline from the word of God tonight, we want to, first of all, make the biblical case for it. The biblical case for church discipline, and then, secondly, this evening, the responsibility for church discipline. So the biblical case and the responsibility. 
There are many places, many churches where perhaps even this sermon title would raise some eyebrows, church discipline. There might actually be some churches where if I were to be the guest pastor, I doubt I would go there to be the guest pastor or be invited, but would say you can't preach on that. We don't believe in that. We don't practice that. That's something in the past. That, that's something that, that we've grown past. We, we don't have church discipline. There might be others who are not operating from a back set of, of values and understanding, but who might actually have grown up in churches where they have never heard the term church discipline, and they might say, what's that? What, what, what is this thing called church discipline? Well, the Westminster Confession of Faith places it within the confession of the Protestant faith and amongst Presbyterians that this is part of who we are. This is part of our confession. This is part of what we believe that the Bible teaches So first of all, let's go back and just establish the case for it. Because it isn't just because we as a church like to do church discipline. It isn't somehow that that the church enjoys this. And and we just love to be part of churches where we get disciplined. As Paul speaks about here, shall I come to you with a rod? It's not that we've decided that in order to be church, there has to be Discipline in the church. This comes from the word of God. This is what the Bible teaches us. God was teaching this in the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament. God commanded in that theocracy of Israel. That there were certain things. There were certain sins. There were certain offenses. That required the death penalty. It required the the people of Israel. And it appears that it was generally the elders of Israel. The responsibility to deal with that. The Old Testament is filled with laws about kidnapping. About murder. that, That life was to be taken for those crimes. The background of which goes all the way back into Genesis. But that wasn't the only thing. Sometimes I think we think, well, the only thing they did was capital punishment. No, it wasn't. There was, but there was also the cutting off. The idea of an exile. Of being separated from the community. Sometimes that was for short periods of time. Sometimes it was for life. But not everybody was given capital punishment. Sometimes they were cut off from the people of Israel. There were corporal, physical types of punishment that were given to individuals who harmed others. Maybe didn't take their life. Maybe didn't kill them, but but maimed them. And so there there were corporal punishments that were handed out by the elders of Israel, short of death. Sometimes there are fines. Sometimes there's repayment that is required 
You stole something from somebody? Well, the punishment was you had to repay that. And if we understand Israel as existing in the Old Testament, as a people, as the church of God, then we would say, certainly in the Old Testament, you can build a case that there was church discipline going on. And the instances of it are so vast, so many, okay, that that to pick one or two does injustice to the many there are. But perhaps our interest is not so much in, well, yeah, we understand that, but you know, that, that's how God operated in the Old Testament. Certainly in the New Testament, in the church, we, we don't have that kind of discipline, church discipline taking place. Well, take for example then what's happening here in 1 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5. What is Paul doing? Paul has come across a case here, has heard about a case that is taking place in Corinth. The background to it is, there's been all sorts of problems with the church of Corinth. So Paul has to, first of all, come with that last line of chapter 4, which is, how do you want me to come to you? Are you ready to listen? Are you ready to pay attention? Or am I going to have to come with a rod of discipline? Am I going to have to come with a rod? Well, certainly Paul is saying, listen, folks, if you don't own up, if you don't get things going here, then I'm going to have to come to you with a measure of discipline. The rod certainly isn't a picture in Scripture of something that you tickle somebody with, that you get to them to laugh about. The rod is a means of punishment. And he is saying... I am going to have to come to you as an apostle of Jesus Christ with the rod of discipline if you don't start straightening up and getting your act together. If you don't start confessing your sin, acknowledging it as sin, and turning and living the type of life that you are called to live as the church of Jesus Christ. As a prime example of that, Paul says, I even hear of a situation, of a case that is existing in your church, of a member who has taken up living with his father's wife. Now certainly Paul is alluding to the fact that this is not his mother, it's not his biological mother, but Paul is certainly saying, listen, this is so obviously wrong That this man is living with his father's wife. That that even the pagans, even if I go out on the streets of Corinth and say, hey, what do you think about this situation? They'd go, oh, gross, that's horrible. He's in a sexual relation with his father's wife? Oh, that's disgusting. And you got to understand, Corinth is a cesspool. Corinth is horrific in regards to sexual immorality. And Paul says, if I asked them, they'd say it's wrong. But you are tolerating it. Now what does Paul say to do? Expel them. 
expel him. Cut off his membership. He shouldn't be a member. He should not be present. In fact, let's take it a step further. You ought to literally turn him over to Satan. Oh, but there's no church discipline in the New Testament. Look at what Paul is saying needs to be done. You need to take this man who is involved in a known sin and you need to excommunicate him from your fellowship. You need to cut him off. Paul is applying the same principle of what to do with this individual as one would find in the Old Testament. Cut him off. Do not allow him to be a part of your fellowship any longer. You need more evidence from the New Testament? Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. There we have these letters to the churches. What do we find? But that our Lord and Savior himself is coming to these churches and saying, unless you repent... Unless you repent of your sin, unless you repent of your sin, unless you turn from your wickedness, I will come to you. And what's he going to do? He's going to take away their lamp. He's going to come in his judgment. He's going to come in discipline for them. So don't tell me that that the New Testament knows nothing of church discipline. Even Christ says he comes and disciplines his church. And if Christ is to discipline the church, then certainly Paul was on a good stand, on a good place in saying, you in Corinth, you need to discipline this man. Instead, Paul says, you're arrogant. Hey, look what we tolerate in our church. Look what we allow in our church. This is what we have going on. You know what? And our church doesn't do anything about it. Sinful, immoral practices that are allowed to continue. And the church was arrogant about it. They weren't ashamed. They weren't like, oh, we don't know. It's not like we don't know what to do about this guy. This is, this is sad. This is sick. This is horrible. They're like, no. This is good. Look at, look at how open we are. Look at how modern we are. We've gone past the pagans in our view of tolerance. Paul, this is not good. This is not right. So whether we draw it from the one who is indeed the king, the head of the church, Jesus Christ from the book of Revelation, whether we draw it from 1 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5 with the apostle Paul directing this church to discipline this member of the church, certainly one sees that there is a case for church discipline. But if you need one more, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. 
Jesus speaking once again, giving direction to his disciples, picking it up at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. There is nothing worse for a Jew to be compared to a Gentile except to be a tax collector. What's he saying? Cut him off. Hmm. That's what Paul said. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what the Lord told Israel to do. Cut him off. If he refuses to listen, then Let him go. Don't have him as a member. The biblical case for church discipline. In some ways we could say it's an open and shut case. But whose responsibility is it to do this disciplining? Who who becomes the responsible party to carry out this church discipline. What office is involved? We don't have apostles anymore. The apostle Paul we can't appeal to. So who is it? Well, if we go down through a number of passages, and I'll give you the list and let you look them up yourself, and I'll just summarize what's going on. Here are the passages. Write them down. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. Titus chapter 1, verse 7. Acts 20, verse 28. Hebrews 13, verse 17. What do all those passages have in common? The one common element that all of those passages have in common is this. That the elders of the church become the responsible party for the church. All responsibility for what happens within the church falls upon the shoulders of the elders. The only office that has to give an account to Jesus Christ, the king and the head of the church, are the elders of the church. Because they are the ones who are in authority in the church. They are the ones who have been given the responsibility to manage the church. They are the ones who are called the overseers of the church. They are the ones who are called the shepherds of the church. Upon them falls the responsibility as well of church discipline. This is not a collective buzz. 
We don't do church discipline by Facebook, Twitter, or tweeting. We don't do church discipline by innuendo and gossip. We don't do church discipline by besmirching other people on our own. We do it through the elders of the church. And they become responsible for every case of church discipline within the church because they are the overseers of the flock. Everyone else who serves in the church, everyone else falls under the authority of the elders of the church. It is a huge, huge responsibility. And I preach this sermon as some of you are going to be receiving letters in the next three weeks, four weeks, asking if you want to serve as an elder. (laughs) It is undoubtedly a great weight. And it is a huge responsibility. And it is not ever to be taken lightly. How do the elders carry out this work? Jesus, in Matthew chapter 16, after Peter's confession of you are the Christ, speaks about giving the keys of the kingdom. And he says that to you have been given the keys of the kingdom and by those keys heaven is open and heaven is closed. Elders are given the great privilege of hearing professions of faith and of welcoming individuals into the body of Christ. They get to hear that testimony first. But they're also the ones who are given the responsibility of saying, you are now outside. We cut you off. That is indeed a great weight. So by the preaching of the gospel, by the means of church discipline, the elders exercise this important responsibility. It's not their only responsibility But it is one of the main responsibilities that falls upon the shoulders of the elders of the church. And it needs a great deal of discernment. You need to be wise beyond your years. You need to be reliant upon the Holy Spirit. You need to be so in love with Jesus Christ and so in love with the church that you are willing to make enemies of family and friends. It's not an easy task. But there is discernment needed. Let me explain that in two things. One, church discipline needs to be firm. This is serious business. And and it and it can't be inconsistent. 
It, it can't be weighted that, well, you know, they give a lot of money, so we'll let their sins go. Or they've been a member of the church for so long, we'll just look past that. It, it has to be applied consistently, but yet it needs to be firm. In our OPC directory of, of worship and then the book of discipline, it lists five things that the elders of the church can do in disciplining a member of the church. And I, and I just want you to hear the seriousness of the words. There's no fluff here. There's no, oh, treat it with kid gloves. As members of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, when it comes to the matter of church discipline, the elders need to be firm. Words like an admonition. Words like a rebuke. Words like suspension. Words like erasure. Words like excommunication. I can't think of one of those words that sounds light and fluffy. None of those words make me feel real good. There's no warm and fuzzy about those words. Those words are firm. Those words are a rod of discipline. I don't care if it's an admonition or a rebuke. A suspension, an erasure, or an excommunication. They all sound serious because they all are. That's why Paul in this passage is not treating this lightly. Paul is not somehow saying, well, you know, let the guy live a little bit. Maybe he'll come to his senses. No, we need to deal with this. You need to deal with this, Church of Corinth. You need to remove him from among you. Our word would be you need to excommunicate him. Because to remove also meant to turn him over to Satan. Serious business. See, we live in a day and age in which this is not taken seriously. Oh, so the elders said something to me. So the elders called me about my church attendance. So my elders called me about this. Or so my elders called me about this. I did. That's no big deal. Why? Because I'll just run off to the next church. Yeah, I'll find a church that tolerates sin. You find out where those churches end up under the authority and rule and reign of Christ. Yeah, I'll just go flee there and raise my children in an atmosphere where Christ is not honored, where Christ is not glorified, where sin is not acknowledged. And we'll see where that brings us in a generation or two. I think you can see where it brings. See, we live in a day and age in which this is, is not taken seriously. And maybe part of the reason is because elders haven't. I'm grateful to have served the 32 years I have served here with men who take this issue very seriously. Who realize what is at stake. And who realize the difficult task that this involves. 
and who realize the work that lies ahead. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if, if, if you can have the strongest elders in the world, but if the church does not understand the importance of what it means for the church to have discipline within it, and if the church just thinks, that doesn't matter if the elders say anything to me or not. You can have the strongest elders in the world. You can have Peter, James, and John as the elders of the church. But if the church is going to adapt an attitude of, it doesn't matter. See, the side of this is both sides. It's not only the responsibility of the elders to discipline. It is the responsibility of the church to take discipline seriously. It is a serious thing to be admonished by the elders of a church that you are involved in a sin. And you need to repent. And you need to change your ways. But the discernment that is called for is not only that it needs to be firm, it also needs to be willing. I want you to take your Bible again. Turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Pick it up with me at verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now if anyone has caused me pain, he has caused it not... Now if anyone has caused pain, excuse me, he has caused it not to me, But in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. That is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, I have forgiven. Anything has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. We are not ignorant of his designs. See, we're talking about the same man. They did it. They did exactly what Paul told them to do. And what happened? Exactly what discipline is designed to do. The man repented. But the church, you're not coming back in. But I sinned. But you're not coming back in. See, standing firm also means a willingness to forgive. And a willingness to reaffirm the brother. That's what Paul is now urging them. He's saying, look guys, look, 
You did the right thing. You did the right thing. You were obedient. I put you to the test. You followed the test. You passed the test. You put the man out. You disciplined him. And what was the purpose of that discipline? But that that man would repent and turn to Christ. Now he has. Now's the time, guys, to let down. Now's the time to be willing. Forgive him. Bring him back in. Reaffirm your love for him. Include him again in the body of Christ. See, and the problem is we live in a day and age in which there are churches who don't discipline. And then there are churches that oftentimes discipline so severely and they adopt an unloving and unwelcoming to the repentant sinner. You can't come in here. You can't join us. You can't be part of us again. And Paul is saying, no, that's exactly what you need to do. As much as you are willing to be firm in, the, in regards to church discipline, you also need to be willing to forgive and to accept and to affirm love. For the brother who forgives. For the brother who repents. Because I'm going to tell you something. This church is full of sinners who repented. And every single one of us have deserved to be cut off God in his mercy and in his grace. Has reclaimed us. And that's what we're to do. With every repentant sinner. To love them. And to reaffirm. Them. And to forgive them. Because this whole issue is serious. I hope you've caught the weightiness of this issue. The seriousness of it. You see, it involves Christ. It involves the glory of Christ. The honor of Christ. The character of Christ. The word of Christ. The people that belong to Christ. It's serious because all eternity is at stake. For whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. But whatever you loose on earth will be loosed by heaven. All eternity is at stake. We're called to be a church that understands the seriousness, the importance, but the beautiful grace beautiful grace of church discipline. Let's pray. Father, thank you for forgiving us all our trespasses and all our sins. 
There are likely folks who are gathered in this room in this evening hour. If the truth be known about who we are and what we have done, there might be some who would never want us back in these church doors again. But you, you, as the God of grace, called us out of that darkness, called us out of our sin, called us to repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we can truly say, Jesus paid it all. Father, help us to live for your glory and honor as elders of the church and the task you call us to as being those who get involved in church discipline. But we also pray, Father, for each and every member. They will understand the seriousness of this, the biblical requirement of it, the great work this is. And remember, even as the Hebrews says, pray. Pray for your leaders. And so may we as members, Father, be faithful in praying for the elders that you have appointed over us to carry out this great task. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.